start out by just asking a little question here this morning. Um, have you ever found yourself in a position where um, reality didn't live up to the expectations? Isn't it tough sometimes where the reality of something didn't actually kind of live up to the expectations? Um, I was thinking about this this week, and I went all the way back to a time when I was 19 years old, and uh, I was working at an insurance company. And as part of my job, I would work in this office, and sometimes I would talk to other branches in other areas, and uh, there was one particular branch, it was about 45 minutes away, maybe an hour's drive from where our branch was, but um, my job meant that I had to talk to this one particular girl at this branch on a regular basis, so uh, we kind of struck up this friendship, you know, we always were chatting, asking about each other, how things were going, and... We just were really kind of hitting it off. So one day, this girl over the phone says, hey, do you want to meet up sometime? And I've never met this girl in my life, had no idea what she looked like, but I've got this picture in my mind from this voice, and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yes, I want to meet up. So uh, we arranged a date for a couple of weeks, one Friday night, and uh, off I went with no idea what this girl was looking like. It was a blind date. Now, some of you younger people here, you're like, well, why don't you just look her up on Facebook or Instagram? Why didn't, why didn't you Google her? This was back in the 1900s, okay? So, <laughs> seriously, back then, we didn't have Google, okay? We had a phone that we had to do this with, you know, to contact each other, and then, you know, so, but I'd heard her voice, and I had a really good picture in my mind of what this girl was going to look like, so off I went. Now, True story, I was less than half a mile from my house. I got in my car, I set off on my journey. I'm not even down to the first turn in our road and a black cat runs out in front of my car and I ran it over. I'm not kidding. I pull over, I'm freaking out, I go back, there's this cat laying in the gutter and uh, as I get close it's going and I realize it's not dead. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I love cats. And I'm just looking at this cat and I'm, I don't know what to do. So I scoop it up, I put it in my car and I drive back to my house. And I'm like, mum, you've got to sort this cat out. I ran over it, but I've got to get out of here because I've got to meet this girl. So the cat's yours, so off I go. So I leave my mum with this injured cat and off I go. Now I'm running late. Uh, we haven't got cell phones, so I'm hoping. So I arrive at this uh, place where I'm meeting this girl. I come in, I'm kind of exhausted, but I, I'm excited because my expectations are high. And then I met her. And all week I knew I was going to tell this story and I was trying to think of a nice way of uh, <laughs> saying this, but I just, I knew immediately we weren't compatible. Uh, that's, is that a good way? I just, I, the, she just looked a lot different than she sounded on the phone. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please listen to some stuff I say afterwards. This was a long time ago. This was Dave Jane before he was a Christian, so don't judge me. Um, <laughs> actually, I think I might have been a Christian, but I wasn't a very good one. So uh, <laughs> I'm a much better one now. Um, <laughs> So after about an hour, I was thinking, well, maybe personality-wise we'll click. Nope, that wasn't really, I mean, it was just like we had nothing in common. The conversation was awkward. So I'm ashamed to say that after about an hour, I told her the story of the cat. And I said, I think I better call my mum and just check on the cat. So I went out to a payphone, and called my mum, came out. I was like, yeah, the cat's not doing well. I really think I need to leave early. Go check on that cat. So <laughs> that was the end of the evening. Off I went. So um, 
Unfortunately, that relationship didn't pan out. But the good news is the cat made it. Uh, I actually forgot to say that part in first service. I, I, I spoke about some great things, and all anyone wants to know at the end of first service was, did the cat survive? How, how's the cat? The cat did survive. We kept the cat. It became our family pet for uh, many years. Uh, we did try, and we knocked on doors. We tried to figure out who the owner was. Never could figure it out, so that cat became our, became our cat. Um, I'm not superstitious, um, but I know they do say things about, you know, a black cat crossing your path is meant to be, I don't know if it's lucky or unlucky, but I do know that if you run over the black cat that crosses your path, it's a bad sign that the night's not going to go well, okay? So, so take that from me this morning. But, so maybe you've had a situation where there's been an expectation and the reality was, wasn't quite what you'd hoped. We're actually going to look, this, this series, Through the Eyes, we've, we've taken all the weeks up till Easter to look at Jesus through the eyes of different people that he encounters. Because the reality is, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've got uh, an idea of who you think Jesus was. Maybe he's a part of your life now. Maybe he, he's a historical figure that you're aware of. And, and every one of us has a different perspective. And some of that perspective is shaped by the way we grew up, whether we grew up going to church or not, um, what type of church we grew up going to if we did go to church. Uh, our family and their relationships with Jesus. So we're hoping that in this series, by looking at Jesus through the eyes of some other people, it'll give us a perspective of him that we may never have seen ourselves. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus from this perspective of a couple of ladies who in their eyes felt like Jesus had let them down. Their expectations of Jesus were lower than the reality. They had this this expectation of what Jesus could do and he didn't meet their expectations their names were Mary and Martha and they were the sisters of a man named Lazarus we're going to look at the account of what happened in their lives this morning as told by a man by the name of John there were four men who tell us the story of the life of Jesus Matthew Mark Luke and John and John is the one who tells us the story about Lazarus and Mary and Martha so we're going to read uh, from his account this morning we'll start in John chapter 11 and verses 1 through 3 say that a man named Lazarus was sick He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. So this is quite important because John's starting out this this account here, giving us some information because John wasn't just walking alongside Jesus like a journalist, just writing things down as it happens. John wrote this account years after the life of Jesus. He realized that um, Jesus, his life and death was was such an incredible um, story. It has to be told Many, many times. So he, he wrote down about the life of Jesus. So he would have written this years after Jesus was, was alive. And he would want to make sure that the people reading it in his time remembered which Lazarus it was. So he's bringing some perspective to this. He's saying, you know, this was Mary, the one who, who broke the perfume on Jesus' feet. This is Lazarus. You guys remember Lazarus? He was one of Jesus' really close friends. You know, So he's putting these notes in here to make sure that his readers are like, oh yeah, I know who that is. So thanks to that, we now know today that this Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. 
Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now Jesus knows something about the sickness of Lazarus that no one else knows. We get to, we're going to get to learn what that is here as we continue on through this story. So two days he stays in place. For two more days he doesn't move. And then finally after two days he gathers the disciples together and says, okay, um, now we need to go check on Lazarus. Do you remember we got that message a couple of days ago that Lazarus was sick? Well, I think it's time now to go over there to see Mary and Martha and to check on him. Now, his disciples at this point, they actually try to talk Jesus out of this. They try to stop him going. They don't know anything about what's happened to Lazarus. They just know that this message had come a few days ago that he was sick. And the reason they don't want Jesus to go is because the place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, it was a region called Judea. And the last time that Jesus was there, it hadn't gone well. He got into a lot of trouble with the people. In fact, there was a crowd that formed, incited by the religious leaders. And this crowd formed with the intention of killing Jesus. They had rocks ready to stone him to death. Jesus was able to get away and his life was spared. But still, the religious leaders in that community, they were still plotting and trying to figure out a way that they could see Jesus arrested and killed. So his disciples are like, Jesus, I know he's sick, but I really don't think we should go there. So Jesus has to explain to his disciples the importance of why they must go. And then verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Now, if you know the story of Lazarus, you'll know what Jesus meant by this. And we're going to find out in a moment. But his disciples, when they heard this, they didn't understand what Jesus meant. They were probably thinking, well, if he's fallen asleep, then maybe he'll be better when he wakes up. And they're still trying to persuade Jesus not to go. They're like, we really don't think you should go. And we really think you should stay. And, and finally, Jesus has to just kind of get real blunt with them and let them know why he has to go. And in verse 14, it reads, So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, you imagine that moment. They were probably all sitting discussing, well, we don't think you should go. We think it's dangerous. And they're all arguing with each other. And Jesus is like, guys, Lazarus is dead. I mean, the air just kind of got sucked out of the room. They were like, what? Do you know, there's a video on YouTube. It's actually 41 seconds long, and it's just a whole collection of clips from the show Star Trek. Do you remember the original show Star Trek? And it's a whole collection of clips of Dr. McCoy, one of the characters in Star Trek, saying, he's dead, Jim. This, this video just keeps showing all these clips because it turns out that in this particular TV series, this character, McCoy, had this habit of having this real dramatic, Jim, he's dead. And this showed up a lot throughout the whole show. And, and I wonder if it was like that when the disciples heard this news, this dramatic, suddenly like, guys, Lazarus is dead. So off they go towards Bethany and Judea. Now at this point, the only reason they know that Lazarus is dead is because Jesus has told them. They haven't had any news come from the area. So I wonder if the disciples were thinking, well, maybe he's wrong. Hopefully he's not wrong because Lazarus is our friend. Lazarus is Jesus' friend. 
surely he wouldn't let him in his sickness die. Surely if he could have done something about it, he would have, he would have gone there. But surely he's wrong. He can't be dead. But then they arrive in Bethany and they're greeted by Martha and Mary. Verse 17 says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. A few verses later, Mary comes out. Verse 32 says that when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. I just imagine the brokenness and the pain. She said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both said almost exactly the same phrase. You just have to picture that Mary and Martha in those days leading up to the point that Jesus arrived and the days following Lazarus' death, probably just in just tears and brokenness saying, if only he'd been here, if only he'd come. We've seen what he can do. We've seen him heal the sick. If only he'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And now, even though he's their dear friend, they can't hold back just from telling him how they feel. Jesus, if only you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. In that moment, as we look at Jesus through the eyes of Mary and Martha, we get to see a very unique perspective, don't we? Through the eyes of Mary and Martha, we, we see this Jesus who's disappointed them. This Jesus who's, who's let them down. Mary and Martha's expectations of Jesus weren't met. They knew he was someone who could heal. They'd seen him heal many people. People he never even knew. But when it came time to do this for their brother, his friend, Lazarus, He'd let them down. So maybe this morning you can relate to Mary and Martha in some way. Maybe you've had an occasion to, to see Jesus from this same perspective, to see Jesus through those same eyes. As someone who you feel let you down, someone who didn't live up to your expectations, someone who disappointed you. I think the truth is this is a, a side of Jesus that we tend to ignore because we show up at church on a Sunday and it appears that everyone's sitting around us and they're smiling and they're singing and they're clapping and they're, they're proclaiming a Jesus who answers prayers and who's come through for us and he's done all these great things. And, and if you're in the position where Mary and Martha are in, maybe there's even a little bit of guilt for feeling this way because you feel like, well, for me, I feel like I was kind of let down. In my situation, it feels a little bit different. And the truth is that sometimes, as was the case with Mary and Martha, it can seem that Jesus disappoints. So how do we handle this? What does this look like for us to say? What can we learn as we look through the eyes of Mary and Martha? I think the first thing we can do is we can look at this situation, we can learn this, we can learn to, to trust that he knows best. To trust that he knows best. Here's what I mean by this, this phrase, to trust that he knows best. You see, the reality is, when you look at the situation of Mary and Martha, specifically that situation, the truth is, he didn't disappoint them. 
they were disappointed. Think about that for a second. He didn't disappoint them. They were disappointed. And there's a difference there. You see, I think Mary and Martha, they actually had some expectations of what Jesus should have done. They had a plan on how they think or how they thought it should have gone and it didn't go their way. And because of that, they were disappointed. It's not that Jesus had said, hey, I'm definitely going to be there and I'm definitely going to pray for him and he's definitely going to be healed and then he didn't show up. They just assumed, they just had these expectations. So their disappointment was that Jesus hadn't been who they thought he should be. I actually was talking with a good friend of mine just recently. I was actually sharing with him uh, what I was going to be speaking on this morning and uh, was talking about this subject and trying to get his insight on it. And he was the one that came up with this phrase. He said to me, you know, Dave, when I think about that, that particular situation, it's not that Jesus disappointed them. They were disappointed. They were expecting something. He also reminded me of a, uh, the lyrics of a song. And I've got to be honest, I say reminded, uh, he didn't really remind me because I don't remember this song because I've never heard this song before because it's by a, a, a new, young and upcoming artist by the name of Garth Brooks. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, as you know, I am not a huge fan of country. I'm not a fan at all of country. And uh, he told me that this gentleman, Garth Brooks, who of course I've heard of, uh, had written a song called Unanswered Prayers. And he told me that in this song, there's a, a whole story about a guy who goes back to a, a high school scenario. And while he's there, as many years later, he's happily married now with a family of his own. He sees a flame from high school, this girl that he really liked in high school. And it all came back to him, the memories of how he used to pray, God, I wish me and that girl could get together. And it just felt like God never answered those prayers. And, and now... Years later, with this wonderful wife and with this great family and a life that he can't imagine any differently, he suddenly looks back and sees this girl and realizes that, that God knew best. In fact, the chorus of the song goes like this. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs. That's just because he, that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. I could just hear the country music in my head. It's awful. <laughs> Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. All right, you can hit record again on the camera now so that the one that goes online will never know that I mentioned a country music song in my message. And uh, if any of you say that I did, I'll, I'll deny it completely. But uh, Garth's right. Sometimes in the moment we can say, God, I don't understand why you're not answering this prayer. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in a job right now that's just an amazing job. And you can remember a time where you were looking for a new job and you, you thought this was the one. You were praying, God, please help me get this job, please. And you didn't get it. And then you, at the time you were frustrated. But now, looking back, you can say, God, thanks so much for not answering that prayer. I'm so glad that I'm where I am now and not what I was praying for back then. And it could be a job, a relationship, a situation, a house, whatever it might be. And it's hard, isn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, it's hard to trust that he knows best. But that's kind of the center of our relationship to, in, in, in trusting that he knows best. It's like God, and don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray and ask God for things. He, he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to communicate with him. He wants to, to, to hear the desires of our hearts. 
But sometimes it's being able to pray and say, God, please, please answer this prayer. Please, you know, let, let this happen. But, but at the end of the day, God, let your will be done. I know that you know me better than I know myself. And I trust you, Lord, that if this prayer doesn't get answered the way I, I think it should be answered, it's because, God, you've got something else in store for me. And I'm going to trust you, God. Trust that you know best. Now, the truth is, I think that's a great thing to believe in and a great point to follow if you're talking about jobs or things like that. But, but let's jump back here for a second to Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha have stood before Jesus. Their brother's been dead now for four days. This is the man that could have done something about it, that could have healed him while he was still sick. Do you tell Martha? Do you tell Mary? Just trust that he knows best because they would think, he knows best? I'll tell you what's best, that our brother didn't die. How can there be anything better than that? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And when it's really hurting, whether you're Mary, Martha, or you this morning going through something, we just have to trust that he feels our pain. This was the second idea I had, that sometimes I think we need to just trust that he feels our pain. Because we get to see a side of Jesus here in the way he responded to Mary and Martha. You see, Jesus knew that the story of Lazarus was going to have a happy ending. He knew that. He knew when he first received the news of Lazarus being sick. Do you remember I read earlier in verse four, Jesus responded when the news came. He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Something amazing was about to happen. Jesus knew this. You may well know the story of Lazarus, but in a second you're gonna hear an incredible miracle that Jesus is gonna be a part of. And yet in that moment, as Jesus stood there with his dear friends, Mary and Martha, seeing their brokenness and their pain, it affected him. It affected Jesus. Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and when he saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. In these two, three short verses, we get to see two incredible emotions revealed in, in the humanity of Jesus. We hear of this anger welling up inside of him. I believe this anger was at death itself. I believe Jesus was angry looking at the impact that death can have on the loved ones that it leaves behind. And I think it was anger because Jesus was there at the creation of the universe. He was there with the Father when, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created mankind and, and he remembered that this isn't the way it was meant to be. That God created a place of beauty where there was no death and there was no pain and there was no suffering. But then because of the devil, sin enters the world and, and this, this beautiful creation is broken and death is now a part of the broken creation that we're a part of. Paul, one of the leaders in the church in the New Testament, he's writing to a church in Rome. In Romans chapter five, he talks about this very situation. He says in verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. 
Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And I think in that moment, Jesus' anger is just looking at the impact that death has on the people that he loves. We also see that he wept. Jesus told people he was the son of God. You know, in this culture, these, these Greeks, they would have all these different gods. You know, Greek gods, they don't weep. That's not part of what a God is. But Jesus is the son of God. The humanity of Jesus is revealed in that moment as he weeps, seeing how hurt and broken his good friends are. Jesus knows the outcome. Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows that the story is going to end well. And yet still, he's moved to tears by the brokenness and the heartache that he sees in his friends. We realize as we read this that when we're in pain, it has an effect on Jesus. He weeps with us. One of the commentators that I was studying this week who, who, who talks about this particular passage, he said this, he said, the fact that he loves us and we love him is no guarantee that we will be sheltered from the problems and the pains of life. After all, the father loves his son and yet the father permitted his beloved son to drink the cup of sorrow and experience the shame and pain of the cross, something we remembered earlier by taking communion together. We must never think that love and suffering are incompatible because certainly they unite in Jesus Christ because he's understood immense pain and suffering and he also loves us deeply. So when he sees us in our pain, he feels our pain, he weeps with us. Now this is the challenge though with the story of Lazarus. Because we're going to take a look now at how Lazarus, the account of Lazarus, how that came to an end. Verse 38 says that Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he, sorry, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead men came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him. And let him go. In that moment, Jesus cries out to his father so that they would know that this is the Son of God and the power of the Son of God on display, the power and authority as he calls Lazarus back from the dead. In fact, there's a, uh, an early church leader around the fourth century, his name is Augustine. And he talks about this particular instance. He says, I think the reason that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, is because if he just said, come out, all the dead would have risen. That's how powerful Jesus was in that moment. So he called Lazarus by name and called him back from the grave. I know many of you here this morning know this, this story of Lazarus' life and, and then Lazarus being raised from the dead. 
And it's great to have a situation where we can look at the brokenness and the, the sorrow of Mary and Martha and know that there was a happy ending, that they got to see Lazarus come back. But what if we're here this morning and our story doesn't have a Lazarus ending? What if you're here this morning and you can relate to Mary and Martha in their pain and brokenness, but you would say, but Dave, my Lazarus didn't come back. My story didn't end that way. What about me? Well, here's the other thing that we learn from this account of the life of Lazarus and Mary and Martha this morning. In verses 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? This is the heart of the story of Lazarus. Jesus says, listen, this isn't about the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. This is about the fact that I, I will conquer death. I am the resurrection and the life. Because you know what? Jesus rose Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus came back to life. But you know what? One day he died again. So Jesus did solve the problem, but only temporarily. I mean, Lazarus still died. He just kind of put it off a little bit longer. And the reality is every one of us one day will face death. Death is the great horror which sin has produced, and all of us will face it one day. But thanks to Jesus, death no longer has any power over us. Because he said, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And that's the great miracle story of Lazarus. When it comes to dealing with disappointments, unmet expectations, sometimes we have to just trust that he knows best. And sometimes we have to just trust that in the midst of our pain and our heartache and our brokenness, trust that he feels our pain. But sometimes we just have to trust. Sometimes the simple answer is just trusting God. I'm going to trust in you. Because this situation I'm in, it didn't work out the way it was. I prayed, I asked, but, but the reality is whatever I go through in my life, however difficult, whatever I have to face, the toughest thing that every one of us will face is that one day we'll die. But Jesus says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. That we can spend eternity with God. Spend eternity with Jesus. This was the message of Jesus that day. You know, back in the um, late 1800s, a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford wrote a hymn. It's a hymn that we sang this morning. It is well with my soul. Whether you're new to church or grew up against church, probably you've heard it at some point, that song we sang this morning. But I wonder if you've heard the story behind the song why this particular hymn writer wrote this song back in the 1800s. He was a wealthy businessman. He had a lot of properties in Chicago. And the Chicago fire came, and in one night, a lot of his wealth was just wiped out as many of his businesses and, and buildings were destroyed by that fire. He had a wife and four daughters and decided that they were going to start a new life in Europe. So they planned to sail across the Atlantic and head towards Great Britain. 
At the last minute, something came up and he had to stay back. So his wife and his four daughters, they boarded a boat and set sail for Great Britain. On November 21st, 1873, that boat collided with another boat in the middle, middle of the Atlantic. And 200 out of the 300 passengers in that boat lost their lives that night. Horatio Spafford's wife was a survivor, but all four of his daughters were killed in that shipwreck. He didn't find out for a couple of days because he had to wait for his wife to arrive in Britain to send the telegram to explain what had happened. Instantly, he jumped on the next available boat to set sail for Britain to be reunited with his wife. And the story is told that The captain knew who he was, knew of the situation, and when the boat got to the point in the Atlantic where the other boat had sank, he called Horatio Spafford up to his cabin. He said, sir, I just wanted to let you know that that right now we're, we're actually around the spot where the ship went down, where your daughters lost their lives. He says he went back to his cabin, and in that moment, he wrote the words to this hymn. So that hymn that we sang earlier from a man who just lost all four of his children. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. He's looking at the sea that took the life of his children. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. He understood that whatever life throws our way, whatever happens in this broken creation that was never meant to be this way that we can know that there's one thing that can never be taken that's our soul because Jesus paid that price for us that everyone who lives in him and believes in him will never ever die so no matter what happens it can still be well with our soul can we pray Father I first I want to pray just for anyone here this morning who is going through a difficult time where they could relate to Mary and Martha this morning and that the the Jesus they are looking at right now appears to be the Jesus who's let them down. Maybe prayers have gone unanswered. Maybe there's a situation where uh, it just feels like it hasn't gone the way they wanted it to go. Lord, just please be with them at this time. Let them feel your peace and your comfort. Let them know, Lord, let them trust that... um, you don't let us just go through this alone, Lord. You, you, you walk alongside us through our darkest times. And God, I believe you weep when you see us broken and hurting. And thank you, Jesus, that the ultimate obstacle that every one of us will face one day is death. And that you gave up your life to, to win that battle. That you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you that you are willing to do that for us. And that because of that, if we make that decision, if we choose to follow you, if we choose to believe in you and to follow you and to commit our lives to to being followers of Jesus, we can truly say that no matter what, it is well, it is well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.